My name is Rebecca Sanborn-Stone. I'm with the Orton Family Foundation and help to organize this series of calls through Community Matters. So welcome to everybody. This is a call today on do-it-yourself community, tactical urbanism, and a lighter, quicker, cheaper approach. We're following up on a call we held two weeks ago that gave an overview to this topic, and today we're digging into what it means to really do this kind of project on the ground and to actually help all of you with projects that you may be working on. So we're thrilled to have you all and thrilled to have three great speakers with us on the line today. Uh, if you listened to the call last time around, you'll be familiar with two of them. We have Phil Myrick of the Public Project for Public Spaces once again and Mike Lydon of the Streets Plan Collaborative. And we also have Arash with us today from Project for Public Spaces. I'm going to let the three of them introduce themselves and say hi again today. Um, I do want to go over a few guidelines for our call today before we get into introductions and welcomes. Some of these will sound familiar to you again if you've been on CM calls before. So first of all, a couple of phone commands that may be helpful to you. Um, we'd ask that if you're in any kind of location with background noise, please put yourself on mute. You can press star six and pound six. One will put you on mute and the other will take you back off again. And feel, feel free to toggle on and off throughout the call. But again, background noise can be a big interference, so if you're not talking, please be on mute. Um, today's going to be a little bit different than the past. On our normal calls, we have the speakers talking a lot and have other folks jumping in with questions. And today, we want to put a lot more of the onus on you. You come today because you're working on projects, you have experience in the field, you have questions and challenges, and all of those provide really valuable content. So. This call is about helping you get answers, but helping each other as well and solving challenges collectively. So we do invite you to jump into the conversation frequently whenever you think you have something to add or you're sharing a certain challenge or want to dive in with any thoughts. Um, if you do jump in, please just state your name at the beginning so we know who's talking. And just keep in mind, we do have probably about 20 people joining us on the line today. It's a great number to have a conversation, but we do want to make sure that everybody has a chance to jump in. So feel free to offer your thoughts, but listen as well, and let's try to have this be an open conversation with everyone on the line. Um, I'm going to be facilitating today, and we'll do my best to try to involve everybody. I may actually call on a couple people, so there's certainly a ground rule in place that if you don't want to speak, feel free to pass and just pass on. Um, and finally, I want to let you know about two online options here. We have the Google Doc in place where we invited all of you to write some intros and tell each other what you're doing. Thanks to everybody who did come on and do that. We're also going to be taking collective notes on here today. So as we get started in the conversation, I'll add another section where we can type in topics or questions that come up during the conversation. I'd invite all of you to jump in and help capture what's really important from this conversation. So if you hear a quote that sticks out to you or that you think is really valuable, please type it in. Any notes, links, resources, ideas, anything that you think the group or yourself would like to hang on to going forward. And you'll note as well that at the end of everybody's bio section, there's a line in red, which is a space for all of you to chime in on that project or idea. So we're going to go through a few case studies today and hear what everybody's doing. While we're talking about them, if you have ideas for that person or that project, please use that space to jot them down. And you can always come back after this call and add more. Um, up at the top, 
there's also the new link in yellow. As I started mentioning at the beginning of the call, this is an online whiteboard. We can use it or not. So pull it up if you have a chance. You might want to have both windows up side by side. If inspiration strikes you and you want to draw or sketch or paste in a photo, that would be a great space to do it, but no pressure there. So with that, I think I'm going to go ahead and jump into introductions. I want to turn it to Phil and Mike and Arash for a minute just to introduce themselves really quickly. You probably know a little bit about them, if, again, if you were on the call last time, but it would be good to hear their voices again. So let me go to Phil first. Phil, do you want to just say hi? Well, sure. Just uh, hello again, everybody. Um, assuming that you heard from me the first time, but if not, my name is Phil Myrick, and um, I'm a senior vice president at Project for Public Spaces and worked on many different kinds of projects in communities like yours, probably. Um, and uh, thanks, Rebecca, for organizing this again. Great. Uh, Mike? Sure. Hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Mike Leiden. I'm the principal of the Street Plans Collaborative. We're a planning, design, and research firm uh, based in Brooklyn, New York, and Miami, Florida. And I'm happy to be back on the call today. And very uh, excited about all the different projects you guys are bringing forward. So great to hear more about those today. Great. And last but not least, we have Arash with us today. Do you want to just tell me a little bit about yourself, Arash? <coughs> um, sure. Well, my name is Arash Kalizad. I've been here for about three years now. I work primarily on transportation projects, but... I'm, I'm looking at Arash, and I'm telling him to use a different handset. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Yep. <laughs> Luckily, we sit near each other. Perfect. What about now? Can you hear me now? Much better. Much Thanks. Better. Yeah. Okay. All right. I guess I'll have to ditch the headset, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I, I was just saying that my name is Arash Kawarzad, and I've been with PPS for about three years. I work primarily on transportation projects, but I have a great interest in, in DIY, urbanism. And um, I, from PPS's point of view, I work with communities to try and make that happen. And then also in my own community of Brooklyn, I am known to carry out such projects um, with a, a close group of friends, one of which is Mike. So uh, that's where I'm coming from. Great. Welcome. We're really glad to have you on the line. Um, so now we're going to turn to all of you who are on the line with us. We're so excited to have everybody, and it sounds like a great diversity of projects and ideas and issues you're all working in. Huge diversity in communities, too, from tiny little rural towns to big cities all over the United States. So I want to invite everybody to introduce themselves, and I'm going to ask you to do it pretty quickly because we do have so many people on the line and we want to jump into the meat of the call. Um, so I thought we'd just start way over on the West Coast, kind of work our way east, and as we hit your part of the country, feel free to jump on the line, tell us your name, tell us what town you're from, and I'll ask you to headline it in terms of your project. So think newspaper headline, shorten to think in about seven words or less, what is it that you're doing or you're really interested in? And there will be plenty of time later in the call for you to give us more details and really talk about your questions. So this is the chance to just give us a really quick snapshot. So let's start way over on the West Coast. Anybody joining us from Alaska, Hawaii, California, Washington, Oregon, that direction, feel free to jump in. Yeah, uh, Michael Held, Port of the Dalles in the Dalles, Oregon, um, just in the beautiful Columbia Gorge region. I am working on uh, arts to downtown and empty vacant storefronts and also chair bombing through random places in town as well. Great. Thanks, Michael. Anyone else in the West? Feel free to just jump in when somebody finishes. 
Uh, this is Tammy Zamorska. I'm not on the West Coast, but I'm in Montana. Um, we're in the Muscleshell um, region, which is in the south central part of Montana. We're a very rural community. Um, I work with our community foundation, and we are working to unite five different very small communities that are facing a lot of the same issues but don't have enough people to address them. Great. A good challenge. Okay, anybody else out west? And don't worry about sticking on the west coast. Feel free to just jump in. Uh, Nevada. Go uh, ahead. Nevada. Robert Adams from Pahrump, Nevada. And we're a rural community about 60 miles outside of Las Vegas. And uh, we're working on keeping it a rural community and preserving um, many of the uh, uh, rural assets which we moved here uh, to, um, to have. Uh, as far as keeping uh, the uh, public lands open uh, for There's recreation and so on and so forth, and uh, uh, pretty much just keeping it a rural community. Great. Thanks, Robert. Okay, anybody else? Rocky Mountains, moving east. Ken Wall with uh, Geodata Services in Missoula, Montana. Um, we're, we've worked with communities for many years, and... Um, and uh, we're working right now with, or getting started on a HUD grant with Opportunity Link in the 12 counties in the northwest, I'm sorry, north central part of Montana. Very rural, uh, three tribal nations doing a regional analysis, um, focused on transportation, housing, um, and some other issues. So very interested in um, sort of extending the, the suitability mapping to regional connections in relation to that. Great. Okay, who else? Rocky Mountains, Midwest. I know we've got a few Midwesterners with us. Feel free to jump on and give us a shout of who you are, what town you're from, and really quick headline about what you're working on. Courtney Rowland here from Columbus, Ohio. And uh, I'm really interested in the Build a Better Block idea. I work primarily around uh, vacant housing and vacant retail space and how we can creatively use those spaces and kind of reclaim them for community use. Great. Thanks, Courtney. Omaha, Nebraska. My name is Calvin Smothers, and we are a small nonprofit called In Common Community Development that is working uh, with folks trying to help them uh, alleviate poverty before it starts. So a couple of things we have in place is community garden, and then we're going to have a community center soon with a, a great parking lot that we can maybe utilize. Anybody else Midwest? Okay, how about moving towards the East Coast? Anybody else? Jump on in. Hello, I'm George Baldwin from St. Petersburg, Florida. I'm a volunteer with um, Celebrate Outreach, which is a faith-based uh, organization working toward preventing and ending homelessness in our area. That's about it for now. Great. Thanks, George. Hi. My name is Karen Arrington from Gainesville, Florida, and I'm interested in beautifying parking lots and Need some advice on how to do that. Fantastic. Thanks, Karen. 
Hi, this is Laura Blackstone. I'm with FEMA Long-Term Community Recovery, and I'm in um, Athens, Pennsylvania, and um, we're putting together a recovery plan. Great. Thanks, Laura. Uh, Chris Bradshaw from Ottawa, Canada. Uh, I'm uh, our, our city is the capital city, but I'm just focusing on a neighborhood that is sort of an upstairs-downstairs neighborhood with uh, low-income uh, urban renewal, uh, how homeless shelters uh, mixed with uh, quite a number of embassies from around the world uh, to mm-hmm. show the extremes. The street that runs and serves as our main street is actually a boundary line between two community associations, and we're trying to form a group that bridges both sides and uh, with the merchants. Uh, the area is a little down in the tooth, but we are having a reconstruction of the street which will mean all the pipes under underneath will be replaced. We looks like we're going to have our our wired services put underground as well, so there'll be no uh, wooden telephone poles or anything left over. And uh, we're trying to get the community to uh, reduce car intrusion by making sure the new commercial spaces that will be added to the street and the undeveloped sites will be uh, will feed in meeting local needs and will generate foot traffic rather than the car traffic of different types of businesses that might. I have a very large catchment area that uh, would not be uh, sustainable in the community. Okay. Okay. Who else do we have on the line? Hi. Um, I, I'm Kate Lally. I'm calling from Shelburne, Vermont, and uh, we're just a small uh, town of about 7,000 people uh, located just south of Burlington. And my project is uh, trying to do something about our really underperforming, unloved, um, Anywhereville commercial strip uh, uh, that is uh, really facing a lot of, of challenges. Um, it's outdated, a lot of single-use structures, co- totally car-oriented, very typical of many places uh, all over the country. Um, but we would... We are located in in uh, in an area that that is fortunate enough to have the three top tourism uh, sites in Vermont. We're right on Lake Champlain. It's extraordinarily beautiful, and we would like to figure out ways to use this to leverage a better kind of pattern of development and and create more uh, town identity in, in this uh, this kind of very bland. Uh, actually increasingly decrepit suburban environment. Um, so that's our challenge. Great. Hi, um, I'm Leslie Duvall. Um, I'm from a small nonprofit called Street Lab based in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, I'm working on a project called the Uni Project, and that's our sole focus right now. And really it's a, it's a specific tool that, that we're developing um, to be a placemaking tool um, activating public space, and um, it's really about books and learning. It's a portable reading room um, for public space, and it, it's grown out of our experience in just a few different kinds of pop-up programs in vacant lots and underutilized spaces around downtown Boston, and um, this is what we decided to focus on for the future, um, and I'm here to talk to people and get some ideas about our model and how to measure um, what we do. Thanks, Leslie. Have we missed anybody? 
Yeah, hi, uh, Louis, Riverside, Rhode Island. Uh, the primary uh, focus on their uh, uh, localized, uh, uh, we say their international marketing uh, project uh, towards their opportunity, uh, global trade, uh, global opportunity. Uh, uh, you know, uh, basically we believe there's a network or their uh, connections should be uh, uh, should be one area of focus on uh, localized economic development. Uh, without this part of uh, capability, uh, may not uh, to to reach out uh, for the localized you know uh, development. So uh, that's a physically uh, focus on the project. Okay. Anybody else? Great. Okay, well, if we've missed anyone, feel free to jump in at some point and tell us who you are as the conversation gets rolling. But let's dive in. Um, we talked a little bit about how to run today's call and thought it might help everybody if we did a little bit of a case study approach, pick a few of the projects, and dive in a little deeper and talk about some of the details and the challenges people are facing. And we suspect that'll answer some of the questions that a lot of you have as well. So I've um, picked a few people who wrote some great descriptions early on and sounded like they had good projects that could help the whole group. I've asked them if they'd be willing to serve in this role. So I'm going to start with a few of those. We'll definitely have time to bring more of you in in that respect later. And if you don't have really a whole case study or project, just hang on, because towards the last third of the call or so, we'll really have open time for anybody to ask other questions as well. But at this point, let me just turn to a few of these folks who had great projects to start with. Um, I'm going to ask each of them in turn to just give us a couple minutes more detail about the project they're trying to do or the community, and in particular, what they're really struggling with and what kind of help they could use from the whole group. And then we'll turn to Mike and Dylan Arash for any ideas they have and to all of you to jump in as well. So let's start with Courtney. Uh, Courtney, do you want to jump in and tell us a little bit more about what you're doing and what you're wrestling with? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm, again, Courtney, and I work at a settlement house in Columbus, Ohio. And we are working on several projects around uh, reclaiming vacant spaces. And um, last summer we did Friday night block parties on a vacant lot, and we've done some murals over boarded windows and doors and things like that. Um, but I was really intrigued by the idea of um, the Build a Better Block event that I saw um, or heard about in the call a few weeks ago. Um, and I've mentioned the idea to some of the other folks in the neighborhood we work with, and uh, there's just a lot of interest in it, and it kind of takes what we've been doing and integrates it into one event that I feel like could have a greater impact in the long term. Um, so I guess some of the things we're thinking about is just the basic logistics of it, um, how you contacted property owners, um, if there are any code or legal issues, you know, choosing an ideal location. Um, the neighborhood I work in is uh, an inner-city neighborhood. It's very diverse. Um, it's sort of in a transition right now with um, some 
wealthier white folks moving into a traditionally um, African-American neighborhood. Um, so it, it's an interesting mix. We have lots of history, lots of culture, um, but uh, the main street that I work on has uh, several blocks that are just completely vacant. Um, so, you know, you could find a block where there are maybe eight retail spaces that are all vacant. So that's kind of what we're thinking. Um, I'd be happy to share a little bit more if it's needed, but I don't want to take up too much of the time. Great. Thanks, Courtney. That's wonderful. And if anybody has further questions for Courtney or you want more details, jump in at some point and ask away, and we can come back to Courtney. But that's probably enough to get us started. Um, Courtney's referencing a great project, the Build a Better Black Project, which originated in Texas. And if you're not familiar with this, you might want to go back to the Community Matters blog for the original call. We have a short video in there about the project, and we talked a little bit about it on the last call. But let me turn now to Phil or Mike or Ross. Do any of you have experience with the Build a Better Block project in particular, or any thoughts on how Courtney might replicate it? Let's go uh, first. <laughs> Mike, why don't you go first? Okay. Um, I think we all have probably some experience working on these types of projects. And um, it's actually interesting. Uh, uh, Jason Roberts, who's the, uh, one of the founders of the Build a Better Block project in Dallas, um, just gave a TED Talk. Um, you can Google, uh, Google, I think it's from the Oklahoma University or whatnot, or University of Oklahoma. And he kind of explained in 18 minutes the whole process and reasons behind um, how they did it. So that's a really good resource. Um, in terms of uh, picking a site, when you've got multiple blocks of, of vacancies, you might try and find the lowest hanging fruit by way of, you know, what property owners would work with us uh, to to do a pop-up store or market or um, event. Um, you might find that you get two or three on a single block um, out of several blocks, that might help direct your attention to that one location. Um, now, in terms of rules, regulations, things of that nature, um, most cities have uh, codes and laws in place that make doing things like build a better block illegal. So, um, in some ways, it might be best to um, to try and make something happen and ask for forgiveness later, as they did in Dallas. But you know what they what they saw in Dallas was that the the actual city um, thought it was fantastic what was happening and has started to partner with them in doing different types of similar interventions around the city. Um, you know, maybe Phil or, or Rosh could talk a little bit more about their concept of a bureaucracy-free zone, um, but sometimes I know that PPS looks into some of their recommendations on their projects in terms of just suspending the rules for a weekend just to get something interesting done and have a community event. Mm -hmm. So if you try and read every law and every regulation, you'll find stumbling blocks all along the way. Um, if you try and just work with your community and find local partners, and I think um, that's certainly a, a, maybe a better way forward in terms of getting something done. Thank you. Yeah, I, I agree with everything Mike said, but I'll just add that, um, you know, it's important to recognize that the first project they did in Dallas was a project that was in their own community. So they knew a lot of the people involved. They already had a good relationship with a lot of people involved and were able to mobilize them to do that project. So the lesson there is that you have to know the community, you have to know who the players are, and you have to have a good starting point with them. 
And by you, I mean either, you know, you as an individual or whoever your partners are. And some partners that I think are really good to have for doing projects like this include um, business improvement districts are a really good group of partners to look at. Uh, local Main Street organizations are another really good group of partners to look at. And those are kind of the two kinds of groups I've seen that are really willing. They understand the concept very quickly because they're used to putting on temporary events and they know the people who need to be known um, in order to make something like this happen. Uh, and that includes the business owners who, you know, need to buy into the concept so they don't get upset when their parking is taken away, taken away for example, mm-hmm. and local government who, who needs to sign off on suspending rules for a day or you know, however long the event is for. Um, so having partners or if you yourself know the right people is, is essential. Yeah, Courtney, have, this is Phil. Have you been able to do some of that community organizing already and pulling together partners? Yeah, definitely. Um, we already have pretty good relationships with the local civic associations and some business owners and actually some people that are really have a great entrepreneurial spirit too um, and are interested in, you know, doing something short-term that could lead mm-hmm. to some longer business <clears throat> development. So some of those partners are in place. Because I think, you know, what what we're saying is that you you have to have those those people with you to get a ball rolling, and then they can all sort of help you push it. And and um, sounds like you're you know you're at a settlement house. You you've probably got the skills and the the connections to to do that. Are you hitting any stumbling blocks? Um, honestly, the thing I'm most concerned about is getting a hold of property owners, um, just because we've tried to do a lot of that on individual houses and uh, have just run into a lot of stumbling blocks. A lot of the places are sort of in limbo where they've been foreclosed on, but the banks haven't reclaimed ownership. So there's those sorts of issues that we're dealing with. Yeah, that's tough i mean you have to be able to talk you have to be able to find a person um to deal with on the you know unless it's a condemned property property in case you can work with the city mm-hmm. they could be the ostensibly they're the owner but um you know in most cases you you need a willing property owner to go along with you yeah so i'd look at the zones you know like mike was saying the low-hanging fruit is those those areas where you have property owners or look for um, the biggest property with a live person who's willing to play ball with you okay. that will have the biggest effect or some cluster of properties that you can work with. Well, I think or, the or idea city spaces. It, yeah, I would say the <clears throat> property ownership is, for me, it's not really the key issue because this is something that's happening within the right of way. And depending, I don't know what your vision is, and maybe you want to talk about that, um, but depending on what your vision is, you may need to get property owner's permission, like if you want to do some kind of temporary facade or something like that, then you may need that. But if everything you're doing is within the street, then you don't need all the property owners. You know, it's the same as if you're doing a cyclovia or any other kind of street closure event. It's temporary, and that's the beauty of it. Or at least maybe that's a, that affects your choice of direction to go. Like maybe, mm-hmm. maybe that, maybe you're forced into the right of way. If you thought you were going to deal with private properties and vacant spaces, 
but you don't have any owners to deal with, maybe you have to focus on improvements to the public realm instead. Yeah, I think that's a good um, way we can go about it is if we can't get property owner permission, then to just do it in the public right of way. I mean, I don't think that needs to be the end all for the project. And one more um, one more idea, too, and you, you might have already explored this, but if there are any, um, you know, you, you mentioned block parties, are there any other events that are happening in the neighborhood where you could actually attack this on concurrently, so you're already building from momentum or possible um, street closures or even sanction changes to the right-of-way that are happening on maybe an annual basis, you can layer this kind of an event on top of it and I think um, have a much larger sort of effect overall with the neighborhood and getting more people out and having more exposure. Um, so we, I always like to see when one event gets to partner with another and they can kind of play and build off of each other. This is all great advice from everybody. This is Rebecca again. I just want to jump in with a couple of things. Um, first, two little administrative notes. We've got a few beeps in the background or electronic noises. So just a reminder to please put yourself on mute if you're listening in. So you can press star six and pound six to come off. And if you are following along in the Google Doc, we're actually taking notes down right underneath Courtney's introduction for this. And we'll do this as we talk about individual projects. So if you have ideas for Courtney or you're dealing with similar issues, please feel free to jump in here and type your own thoughts and ideas as well. Um, and then one last administrative note, for those of you who aren't familiar with the Build a Better Black Project, again, uh, it's a really great example of what we're talking about here, but some details that might help out. They basically picked a block in Texas that was <coughs> failing or a little bit run down and took it over for a weekend, brought in a team of volunteers to really revitalize it in a lot of very low-key ways. So they took some planted trees and stuck them in the median of the street to slow down traffic and make it a little bit different. They painted some temporary facades on buildings. They stuck tables and chairs out on the sidewalks to leave some seating and probably lots of things I'm not remembering in the moment. But in case you're having trouble following along, that's what we're talking about here. So let me, let me turn it over to the rest of the group. Anybody else have experience with this sort of thing or ideas for Courtney and how she might create this kind of project in Columbus? You could ask Uni to come pop up a library. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and if nobody's out there with ideas you want to throw in, we'd also love to hear from anybody who's dealing with a similar challenge or looking for ideas along the chain. Anyone want to jump in? Okay. Well, feel free to come on the line in a little bit if you still have something come up. Courtney, were there any other questions you had about this or anything you didn't get answered? Uh, I mean, at this point in the process, uh, not really, but I'm sure as it goes on, there's going to be a lot of things, but I really appreciate the um, advice here today. It was really helpful. Good. I mean, definitely, uh, the, Mike mentioned that one video. Um, you know, compile all of the compiling all those resources and sharing with them with pe sharing them with people is really important. Um, so, if you do find a property owner who doesn't understand what you're saying, send them the video and introduce mm -hmm. them to the idea. Or you could go the other direction and, and do it under the radar and have people find out about it when it's happening. And then, 
you know, there, there's less trepidation that way. So I think you have to decide which which direction you want to go in. If you want, it sounds like you want to get consensus before you do this, which is laudable and 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 you know the right way to go in certain situations. But you could also be setting yourself up for a lot of roadblocks. Whereas if you get the right people on board and do it under the radar, mm-hmm. you can still have the same results. Yeah. Great. So thanks to everybody for weighing in on this one. Let's try to take another couple cases like this and dig through them. Uh, another person I told earlier I would put on the spot is Kate in Shelburne. Kate, do you want to tell us a bit about what you're working on and what you're struggling with or would like some help on? Uh, sure. Um, like I, I said earlier in our introduction, we, we just have your classic suburban strip. Um, the highway is actually a state highway, so we have very little control over what we can actually do um, in basically a 100-foot right-of-way that um, has been, um, unfortunately, they put a median down it um, so it, it and made it even straighter. So, you know, the speed there now is 40 miles per hour, um, and cars are pretty much just zooming by. Um, so I, I, I find all of this sort of... Um, the technical urbanism and the pop-up, this and that, to be so cool. And I've been struggling with, okay, how do you translate something like that to this sort of an environment? We have um, very, very little money to, to use to this, and, and the money that we, the little bit of money that we do have, we wanted to hire um, a consultant to uh, assist us getting a form-based code going um, in, in this area um, and we wanted to start with a very uh, flushing things out in a very specific location, which is uh, this intersection. Um, it's the it's a road intersection, and it leads to uh, uh, beautiful views of the, the Lake Lake Champlain and Shelburne Farms, which is one of our top tourism draws. And it's also the the, the way that you would take to have the sort of pretty historic route into our um, beautiful historic village. Um, so so if, if you can imagine, it's not, not difficult, um, pretty straightforward what you see everywhere in this country. We have a beautiful little historic village that pre- at present um, has almost a kind of um, moat of uh, green uh not too badly developed space around it. And then we have this linear, dreadful um, suburban corridor uh, that ultimately goes all the way to Burlington. Um, and, and and that's this is the nowhere, nowhere, no man's land sort of area that we're trying to focus on. And, and trying to address the kind of rushing cars, the linearity of it, by looking at these key intersections can kind of a place that is indicative of the fact that there is actually a town, a very interesting town here, um, and, and that you could uh, kind of engage to, um, to, to get drawn into this town in different ways. I, I apologize if this is, if I'm putting this rather abstractly. It's, um, it's kind of a hard concept to, to um, you know, just to figure out because it's just so, um, so not about people and anything pedestrian at this at this point. And and I guess I'm just looking for 
any direction I can on, you know, how on a a, a real budget do you do you try to to do something about this? Well, I would, you know, this is Phil speaking. I would think about whether there are specific key areas where you want to have an impact that sort of gets the ball rolling that, you know, are highly visible and the right ingredients are in place. You know, there's willing partners, et cetera. Um, so being strategic that way. And, of course, looking at the long, longer-term redevelopment through the format code, that's great that you're doing that. Are you working with Paul on that? Paul Dreher? Yeah. Yeah, we hope to. Yeah. yeah. Paul's such wonderful <clears throat> in Newport, and it's a Vermonter. And, yeah, um, he's great. So, but then, you know, also there's there's an amazing amount that um, you can do just um, aligning the individual property owners and sort of galvanizing them, which is probably what you're doing in 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 terms of like creating a vision for um, the types of things that they could do that they didn't know that they could do. So I would I would be thinking along those lines too, maybe, and collecting visual examples of what what people have done to um you know make a setback um auto oriented store a lot more attractive and um you know with everything from planters and planting to um you know outdoor retailing and merchandising um and and a lot of the stuff mostly focusing on the stuff that they could do themselves if they sort of bought into your idea, which is to make this corridor look and feel a lot different than it does today, um, but, you know, bootstrap style. So I think you could um, use some of the, you know, sort of advice that we gave Courtney in terms of, like, if you want to focus in on specific locations and do, um, you know, make a concerted effort with a lot of partners and, and with the city, of course, and get them to restripe and and that kind of thing. But you could also have this sort of quarter-long, um, you know, just sort of bring people along and, and educate them with all the things they could do, um, you know, basically with their own space, with very little money that would bring attention to the whole quarter and improve their business. Okay. Is that sort of object? Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert Adams from Peron, Nevada. Is there a community or a county master plan in place? County master plan. Um, no, nothing that that uh, would address anything like this. That's actually kind of one of the problems that one of the reasons we have the problem that we we do is because um, I think I think it's a sort of one size fits all zoning. This particular area has just been kind of designated. You know, it's like this ochre-colored area on a planning map that just says mixed-use district, and it it doesn't um, give any more information than that. And it's a you know, it's a two and a half mile long swath. Uh, you know, that's you know, just all we've just gotten are these single-use um, big boxes. <clears throat> When's the next time that the master plan comes up for review? Um, at the county level. Um, yes. They just redid it. I I, I, just, I don't think that the the county is really at the, the the point where they are have the facility to work with in this kind of detail um, yet. 
uh, I think there, there's interest and, and willing to do it eventually, but I, I don't think that they're, they have that capability yet. They don't have anybody who, who uh, knows anything about physical design in, in this sense yet. That's where community volunteers can make a big difference by coming in I, and filling that void. So we sort of figure we're kind of on our own this way. Um, and the, actually the best thing that they can do is sort of, I think, sort of stay out of our way um, on this and let us, uh, let us do what we want to do. So just in terms of, um, I, I'm also a planning commissioner in our town, and, and the arrangement that we have kind of gotten clearance to go ahead to do is to create a, um, a parallel code that would be a form-based code. Um, I, I anticipated that there would be uh, uh, just too much um, pushback if, if uh, we were to suggest that we just go ahead and, and actually you know, throw out entirely the old zoning and then make this, um, this would be the new way going forward. So what we're hoping to do is, is create something that's attractive enough that will be compelling to, to anybody who wants to um, develop or redevelop in the corridor to, to use the form-based approach. Hi there, this is, um, this is Mike Lydon. Um, I just wanted to weigh in just for a minute on this issue because it's obviously a, a common problem across the country as you identified. And I'm actually quite familiar with the quarter in which you're speaking of. Um, you know, in this instance, I think you know, a tactical type of intervention is possible, but um, to be blunt, it just seems like parsley around the pig, so to speak. And I think you would be well served to put you know, much of your, you know, your energy and resources into um, getting the form-based code done, and to the degree that becomes an optional code, incentivizing that code. Um, so it, it, you know, you mentioned it becoming more attractive to property owners and people who want to buy and redevelop properties. You know, it really incentivizes so they would choose to use that code, make it easier, uh, faster review process, things of that nature, um, so that the implementation um, can go uh, faster and, and be more uh, be more effective. Um, so those are just a couple of my thoughts on that. Mm -hmm. uh, can I ask a question? This is Arash. Um, are any of the properties vacant, or is there anything run down that can be repurposed in any way? Yes. Uh, and that was one of the reasons for doing this, too, because uh, we have, in the area of the corridor that's closer to Burlington, it's pretty much all developed. And then um, closer to the village of Shelburne, uh, which you know, obviously farther away from uh, Burlington. We still, have, we still have actually some working agricultural land on this corridor, even though it's zoned excuse. So that was part of the incentive for doing this, was to try and find a way to, to uh, you know, keep this somehow. And, and also to address this, the, the larger problem that, um, you know, buildings, there's this sort of attitude of just disposability on the, on the corridor. You know, like if you're, building doesn't work so well for you, you know, you just sort of walk away from it, and it just tends to sit there. And a lot of that is to do with our current zoning, which is very restrictive and use-based. But, um, but, but also, you know, so we, we've just had, like in the last year, a tractor supply and a Kinney drug come in, and they've, you know, they've just plowed under some green fields to put those up. Now, there's no, there's no incentive or it, even... Discussion, I think, about trying to repurpose some of these older, more decrepit sites. Mm -hmm. 
there could be there's probably a variety of reasons for that. But one of the things we're hoping to do with a, with the form based code is is to really um, a- allow for a lot more um, rehabilitation of these former sites and 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 do everything we can to discourage the greenfield approach um, as much mm-hmm. as possible. That's great. That's great. And I think you can do a lot. And I think actually doing some kind of temporary intervention would help you with the form-based code because you could show people that this is what you're trying to do. And that's that's the great beauty of doing DIY stuff is that you have an object, you have a point that you can show people as opposed to simply talking about it. And I think there's a lot you can do. I'm not familiar with the corridor, so I don't know what the building types are, but there is a lot you can do with strip centers. There's a project called the Cinerolium, which is taking a gas station and turning it into a movie theater, which is a re- that's a really that's one of my favorite projects, and that was done by a group of students. And that's the kind of thing that is great because it attracts people to the site. Which you know, when you whenever you can do that, whenever you can attract people to a vacant site or a strip center that needs help, I think you've already accomplished half your mission. Um, because you're endearing people to the site, you're, you know, getting people talking about it, you're getting people invested in it again, and they're having fun, and, and that's going to get them a lot farther along in supporting whatever your long-term goals are than talking about it in the abstract. Oh, thank you. This is so helpful because we've been trying to figure out how to kind of bridge this this gap. And, you know, it's um, I, I think those of us who are – sort of on board with this process, you know, have done our, a lot of research into it. I mean, we're like disciples, you know. And But it's been very difficult to try and get the average resident to get jazzed up about doing something in this place that there is, not only is there low ownership of, but there's, there's a, you know, it's like a repellent place, you know, that people mm-hmm. avoid at all costs. So something like this sounds just, like really engaging and fun and witty and well that's what i love about the the movie theater idea is that it's it's a thoughtless activity i mean everybody likes to go to the movies and they don't think about the spatial impact until they're there and they realize that they just had a great night out at this place that they never would have gone to otherwise and you know it hits them later so you're getting them out with a fun activity but there is a lot of meaning behind it Uh yeah i would i would agree with that and this is leslie from street lab in the uni um one of our earlier projects was to do an outdoor movie uh, series in a vacant lot, and um, after the, you know, after we we did it just for four nights, and we've done it every year. But after we did it the first year, suddenly everybody had ideas for the vacant lot. There were people who wanted to do a flower market. Design students were making plans, and so it attracted attention. So I agree that it would be good before you go to the, try to do something with the code to try to get people show them you know, um, what it could be and do something eye-catching with a lot of people so that you can get the cars to slow down. <laughs> you know, you could also do, um, it's very helpful for business owners to to have some visual guidance in terms of, like, uh, what what are you talking about that I could do something with my storefront and my parking lot? You know, they have a really hard time. But if you could get some help, um, you know, like maybe you engage a class of students at the, you know, nearby university in a project that creates, um, you know, photo sims of the of properties all along the corridor and what they could do to dress them up. I mean, I've seen so many great adaptations of strip development that turned the gas station into a beer garden or turned, you know, put a um, a raid, uh, used that whole 
parking um, area in front for gardens or like um, displaying the canoes and the kayaks that they sell inside or um, you know there's just or um, you know a variety of different sort of sitting spaces um, outdoor dining so I mean there's just a ton that you could do and as soon as you can start to help yeah I mean certainly do do an installation with a willing property owner do the you know the Cineroleum, um, start doing events and that kind of stuff. But it would be great to get um, some people helping you do the visualizations for all the other property owners and what they can do as well. It could be sort of competitive, you know, um, with a class of students or something like that, I'm thinking. This is Rebecca. It reminds me of a great project done in Philadelphia probably close to 10 years ago right now, where a local artist and storyteller took photographs of vacant lots, buildings, places that needed revitalization, and gave them to elementary school students and had them color with crayons on top of those photos what they would envision or want for that space. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you had these run-down buildings, and kids would draw park benches and dogs playing and balloons, and it was both <laughs> really powerful in almost an emotional way for people, I think, but also just so profound that the kids really did know what would turn those spaces around. Yeah, it's sort of a little bit of lighter, quicker, cheaper master planning, Yeah, you know, that's sort of filling this gap that the, the county or the city's not doing it, and they wouldn't do it that way, but it's it's really just trying to inspire people and educate them and, and get them on the same page about, oh, yeah, we could we could become known for this. Yeah, yeah, I think I had to... That's a great idea, and I think particularly in our town, we're very sort of, we have a little elementary middle school here, it's as big as we are, and um, that, that would have, I think, quite a bit of traction um, in, in addition to teaching the kids a little about, you know, urbanism and, and uh, you know, in, that there's intention when you design in the landscape. Hi, can I can I jump in? My name's Karen. Can, you, can you guys hear me? Yeah. yeah. Hi. Um uh, I, I I would like to see a diverse age group do that because I think as an adult I feel really left out sometimes because um, you know sometimes elementary schools and, and universities are um, invited but I I have an idea that maybe in the vacant lot you could just put big boards up and use that idea that someone was talking about the Philadelphia where they I guess they drew the kids drew over the images right. And and just maybe have the whole community come and maybe have music and food or something, but have like these big boards where everybody could come, like all ages. And and I I think maybe that would draw a few more you know every more people in. I don't know what you guys think about that. Yeah, you could do it on movie night. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's it's a good idea for something that can be paired with you know, a range of other programming. And and the key, the reason I say that is because you want to get people coming back um, and you don't want it to only be, you don't want your plan to only be based on special events per se. Um, and this going back to the Better Block, I think what really worked with what they are doing is that they frame their projects as this is what a regular day on the street should look like. This isn't a special event. This isn't a one-time thing. Um, it's not a cutesy thing. It's something that we think, you know, it's, it's, we're giving you our vision of how we think the street should work. And theoretically, if you're participating on that street, if you didn't know 
that this was a special event, you should think that this is just how the street should function. You know, you wouldn't be able to tell that this is a one-time deal. Um, and so that I, I really like events like that where if you are a visitor, you don't know that this is a one-time deal or part of this larger plan. You just think that this is a great night out and you had a great time and this is how the space should always function. I, I would also think of it in terms of the business opportunity that's there for, you know, entrepreneurs and the existing property owners. So, for example, uh, in Texas they have a lot of outdoor courtyards for drinking beer and they're very, you know, they're charming, they're really informal, they're... Um, they're often um, sort of retrofits of the kind of front parking lots that you're talking about, but they'll cover the parking lot with sand or, you know, wood chips or bottle caps, and they will put an outdoor bar in, and they'll define it in some way with a little fence or with shrubbery, um, and, you know, they'll they'll put out a, like a very cool sign that's kind of retro on top of the building, and they'll paint it, you know, and it's it's really really simple, and or sometimes it'll be you know all around an airstreamer around a um, or a food truck, and using the the space in the same way with outdoor picnic tables and that kind of thing. That is an incredible entry level opportunity for somebody um, to either share the space with a, somebody who doesn't find that their parking lot is really used all that much or for the property owner themselves to sort of expand, in, you know, what they do on their property. But um, I think, you know, most people don't realize that this kind of thing can be done, has been done. This is the sort of thing where the city has to also come in and get involved to permit this kind of stuff. But, you know, that could be like a program that's, um, you know, instituted by the city if need be, that's that's you know way cheaper and way quicker than you know the the code rewrite. So mm-hmm. I, th- I think you know those kinds of things. There's real money involved um, that that also turns heads, that also builds community and attracts people and gets people using outdoor spaces. And you can also put up a movie screen and 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 show movies. Great. Um, so this is Rebecca. I'm going to jump in. This has been an amazing conversation about this one example, and I hope it's really helpful for others listening in as well. I'll turn it back to Kate to see if she has any other urgent questions, but in the nature of time, I think we're going to move on pretty quickly here. Kate, anything else on this? No, you guys have – thank you so, so much. You touched on really all of my, my big concerns, and um, I I just feel like I've got a bunch of different directions to possibly, uh, you know, run pretty far in. So thank you very much again to everybody. Fantastic. Well, thanks for sharing your example, Kate. If others do have ideas, again, please do scroll down to Kate's introduction section. We've got a lot of notes going in there. I think we'll get a couple more linked in maybe even after this call is over, but please add your own thoughts. Um, And we're down to about half an hour left for today's call, so I want to be sure we can turn it over to everybody else and see what you're struggling with. Unfortunately, we don't have this amount of time to dedicate to everybody's story today, but if this group is interested in staying in touch and going forward, we're happy to do more calls like this and try to help you in more detail. Um, but in our remaining time, let's open it up to other people. Does anyone else have something you want to talk about, whether it's a quick question or an example like this you want to throw out? Um, this is Leslie. 
from uni, and um, I've got a question that I hope will be helpful to everybody um, about measuring the impact of pop-up projects, um, because when it comes to convincing property owners and also getting funding, um, you always have to answer that question. And if you're temporary, you're sort of in a whole other realm um, of, you know, really solving problems. And um, and so, you know, in our particular case, um, we're really into data from some of our previous projects, and we had opportunities to collect good data, you know, in terms of headcounts and who people were who were coming to projects. Um, but, you know, that seems in a way the the most important part about in just one of our projects that we did, the storefront library, was really how it made people feel about their neighborhood, and that was hard to capture. We had comment boxes, and then it was just people who came up to us in the street, you know, that said, "Wow, this is amazing! This, you know, this will never forget you," kind of thing. And it was we were there for three months in the case of this storefront library in Chinatown, um, so we were able to be there longer and have more of an impact. Um, now, my question with the union, I think this would be the case for other pop-up projects is um, is how to measure that kind of quality about these projects where you, you really you do have an effect on, on the culture and the and the um, the way people feel about their neighborhood um, but sort of I'd love some ideas about how to capture that great question and for those who aren't familiar with the uni Leslie's posted a link and there's a picture in here it's an amazing idea of a mobile temporary library if I've got that correct so Mm -hmm. Take a look at what she's doing. Um, but fabulous question about measurement. Anyone have ideas about this, or are you struggling with the same question? We struggle with that. I mean, I think we, um, this is still, we, uh, I think often the the effect is not, um, it, it's immediate while it's going on, and then, you know, when it goes away, it's it's hard to sort of point back and say that it it did this or it did that. But we find that um, it in a, in a lot of cases it, it has sort of opened up new territory for um, a neighborhood or or a, a group that's been involved with the project, or in many cases the city government itself, who um, begins to change the way the culture of of practice among city staff and and planners and um, you know it's really it the, a crack that open uh, opens that n only gets wider it never closes again um, and so you do see the ripple effect over the long term but I you know there there are certainly many cases where there's a there's an apparent ripple effect you know that that a lot of different projects all of a sudden start to happen in a city um, and you feel like something has been unleashed. But the other smaller projects, you know, it, I don't know if it's, um, and it, you know, it may be that you, you know, one of the, one of the biggest opportunities for collecting that impact and that data is, is the community that you built at the time when you were doing the project. And, um, you know, while you've while you've been working with that community and it held together, how do you how do you get them to um, either keep working together or or to at least register in some way, you know, their 
the amount of passion that went in to that, that um, and the the impact that it had on their neighborhood, and so, somehow even even in in that way, even if it's just each of them sort of writing something, um, or you know letting a city leader know, or writing an article, um, you know making sure that it's not forgotten. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is George in St. Petersburg. Um, when we talk about impact, we, we, we're talking about um, change. And um, mm-hmm. I would think that on the individual level, uh, you could measure um, the shift in attitudes. Um, which, uh, uh, and, and then also you could measure uh, behavior. Mm-hmm. Am I still on? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, um, for instance, we, we did a play on um, homelessness a couple of years ago, and, um, you know, we were able to measure uh, changes in attitude toward homelessness, you know, by doing the pre- and post-test, and then we were able to measure um, uh, the behaviors that resulted from people viewing the play uh, by uh, having them to register um, or at least get feedback on uh, behaviors of the service projects or whatever that they engaged in as a result of the, of the, of the play. So on that behavior one, you get both anecdotal and uh, statistical um, um, information to, to measure and work out. I hope that's and, helpful. Yeah, that is. So your methods for that were surveys and just asking around for anecdotes? Um, definitely um, surveys, you know, like using a survey monkey or something like that to mm-hmm. uh, to get. And you can get everybody. You can just do a sample if you want. But, mm-hmm. you know, get enough people to participate in the pre- and post-test that you can administrate mm-hmm. through survey monkey, um, and and then to capture the change in behavior, uh, you get the participants to do that themselves by asking them to uh, register or notify you when um, they engage in the activity. Uh, that comes about as a result of their participation in your project. Mm-hmm. That's helpful, yeah. One thing we, um, one thing I've, I've done with a couple of our projects, um, where we just did a one-off, you know, sort of one-time pop-up thing, is I, um, I had a, a Google search on the location and, um, tried, you know, and put it into my RSS feed so that whenever there was some news about that, Location, I would see it, and then I could sort of say two years later, "Well, that was because we did that thing." You know, <laughs> that's why they're doing that program in that, you know, that unused room. Um, but that's kind of, you know, I don't know if that works so well, but it's, it may be stretching it a bit. But we try to kind of, you know, um, track the locations where we did pop-up projects um, yeah. over time, and try to see if there's more activity. Um, sort of of a similar nature that's sort of community-focused and using the space for the public benefit. Leslie? Yeah. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Did I interrupt George? Or No, yeah, go, ahead. go ahead. 
Um, one thing that just came to mind about pop-ups and, and using vacant lots, I mean, I love all these ideas. Do property owners, when you do the pop-up, did the property owners say anything about liability? I, I'm wondering, if, you know, how did you deal with the property owners? Like, you know, you just want to do this for a certain period of time. Or did you have to sign a waiver or anything like that? Uh, oh yeah, and a couple, yeah, a couple different things depends on what kind of property owners um, other people may have experienced. But um, yeah, it, it was different for every case. Um, if it's a city-owned park. Um, you know, it can be lots of different departments you have to go to to get permits, and you, you, in all cases, you have to have insurance. I can say that. Um, you have to have some type of insurance, a special event insurance or general liability, and you have to, you know, get certificates that name the city and a bunch of people um, as additional insured. In a case of this three-month storefront library in a vacant space, um, the property owner was motivated to let us use the space because they were trying to rent apartments above. Um, I didn't find that to be the case with a project I tried to do in commercial areas. They really just wanted something that would um, provide lunch or, or something for workers on their lunch break. So um, it was harder in that case. But uh, in that case, we, we signed a lease. We actually kind of, we had a, well, it was a license agreement to use the space. Um, we got some pro bono legal assistance to staff something. Um, so, yeah, there's, I think it's different. You know, in other cases, there was nothing. They, they just, I, I presented them with a proposal and said, we're going to clean up and we're going to, you know, have insurance and we're going to um, provide this kind of security measures and things like that, you know, to assure them of my uh, responsible <laughs> nature um, for using this space. So it's sort of, it was different for every case. Okay. I think that um, documenting the impact is really important and it's something we're all struggling with. Uh, but, you know, I will say that you have to plan that stuff out ahead of time. And even if it's just documenting that the actual, that the event actually happened, that's probably the most important thing you can do to sway anybody. Um, yeah. In today's day and age, if you didn't document it and take pictures and perhaps some video and write a blog post about it, it didn't happen. Right. Uh, and, and so make sure you're doing that ahead of time because you can't go back, you know, you can't rewind the clock and, and take pictures. Um, and you'll be kicking yourself that yeah, not, you know, nobody else heard about this great event. Um, and then in terms of, of documenting the numbers, that you also have to plan ahead of time and get the pop-up store owners or whoever it is to buy into what you're doing. They've already bought into it, but for them to, to actually buy into documenting and tracking their own progress and then feeding you that information later. Mm -hmm. If you can, try and take a before and after scenario as well. So if you're having an event or something occurring on a, you know, a sunny Saturday in June, uh, take video or pictures before on a, another sunny Saturday in the same season, just more or less, just so you can give a, a before and after um, perspective to to people. Yeah, that's that's good. I think I think it all it all this it takes a lot of planning, but trying to identify exactly what you're going to measure is is um, important. This is Rebecca. I wanted to jump in with a plug for somebody who actually can't be with us today. There's a, a grad student named Josh Pasqua who was on our last call and has been in touch. He really wanted to be here today. Um, he's actually doing a thesis and some work on tactical urbanism and other temporary interventions, and he's particularly interested in this question of how you track impact and report it, and specifically around economic benefits to communities. I think on our last call, he put out a request for anyone who has data on um, before and after 
economic progress in a community or how some kind of temporary pop-up, lighter, quicker, cheaper event improves the economic viability of a block, that sort of thing. So if anybody has that, I know Josh would love to hear from you. I'm going to put his email address in here. And if this group continues on in any way, I think Josh probably has some insight into this question and would certainly love to talk with anyone who's struggling with it. Anyone else want to weigh in on this, or should we move on to another question? Hi, this is Tammy in Montana, and I just think it's kind of ironic because we had a meeting a couple nights ago of a bunch of business owners trying to think about how to address this issue. We have our main street is a highway, so we can't do anything with the street, but we have lots of vacant buildings. And so it is not very appealing to even stop on our main street because it's just so ugly. And so some of this stuff is really interesting, and I just thought it was kind of, that's not what I thought I was getting on here for, but I'm glad I was on here. So thank you guys. I've got some great ideas to take back to them. Well, don't assume that there's nothing you can do because it's a state highway. I mean, um, there's there's so many communities who whose main street is a state highway, and they assume that therefore... Um, you know, it is the way it is for, you know, certain reasons that will never change and that, you know, traffic engineers have, uh, you know, godlike powers to say, you know, how wide that street should be. Um, and if, if anybody else takes issue with it, you know, the sky will fall in on, on the community. Um, so revisiting the assumptions of, of how wide a main street is and how it's designed should be a community project. Um, it's not something that we can let our engineers decide for us because it has huge impacts on our communities, especially when they're the main streets. Um, so that may be a long-term project, but in the short term, you you know, there are lots of um, lighter, quicker, cheaper uh, projects that retrofitted a street that was too wide in the short term. There's also the, the case study of Fort Worth. Um, they, a uh, community organization there, they put together um, a better block project as well following the Dallas model, and it was very, very successful, and it inspired the actual city of Fort Worth to um, approach the state, because they did this on a state road. They approached the state and uh, regained jurisdiction over that roadway, at least for uh, a certain stretch. And so by way of doing that in a very short amount of time following the the Federal Block project, they went ahead and made, um, you know, complete street improvements, um, striking the bike lanes that were temporarily striped in during the Better Block, um, adding sidewalk planners, things of that nature, which were forbidden um, when it used to be a state highway. So um, there is a process that you can probably follow, and it's probably shorter and longer depending on where you are, um, but some of these projects do lead to that longer-term change um, at the sort of uh, state jurisdiction level. We've got time for a couple more questions. Somebody else want to throw out a challenge or something you're struggling with? Uh, this is uh, Chris from uh, Ottawa, Canada. Uh, one of the things we're trying to do is to influence the uh, new commercial space that will be added to the street as vacant lots have six to eight to ten-story 
uh, buildings put on them, which have to be ground floor commercial. We don't have too much of a problem <coughs> that many of you have talked about a vacant property, even though it's a street with good transit and we have a car sharing service in it, which allows people more likely to live car free. We do have a heavy amount of traffic and we're fighting the city in the reconstruction uh, who want to keep the lanes and wider and make them wider because they say that drivers, too many drivers will spill over into the side streets and we don't want that, do we? Uh, but we're trying to, by influencing either the planners and or the developers of this land, we would like to tell them what kind of businesses we think would succeed and would serve the local community and reduce the footprint in terms of car traffic of the eventual development and, and also to appeal to the very people who will be buying apartments, investing their money, who, as someone gave the example, that uh, a temporary use was justified because it would uh, give the workers uh, extra things to do at lunchtime, presumably not uh, pre pre preventing the need for them to get in their cars and drive further afield. So we're looking at possibly a type of survey, and I don't know what experience is, to uh, survey our own residents in the area and even employees in the area to see what type of businesses they would like to have us uh, add to the street and then to lobby for that. Because we know that if the people living nearby want it, then it won't generate more car traffic as opposed to leaving it to the normal vagaries of the marketplace and real estate people uh, and, and retailers who tend to think a much larger geographical area in their trade area. Chris, is there something in particular you'd like feedback on or a uh, question you have for the group? We've investigated funding for this type of thing, and then we're, we're not turning up anything, so it looks like something we'll have to do with just volunteers. We've had one, uh, uh, one of our members of our group is, a, is a, an emeritus professor uh, at, the local, at the university that's uh, on the corner of our neighborhood uh, in the business school, and he suggested that uh, to make it viable, we may want to use focus groups as opposed to uh, more formal research. And part of uh, what I'm hearing today is that some of your pop-up events allow you to rope people as they're coming by on the street, hopefully walking, uh, cycling, <coughs> and ask them the kinds of questions that I have in mind and some of the questions that uh, you people have. That, you know, you're basically you're trying to get people to make a connection between their own quality of life and own health and that of the broader community, you know, shared street uh, and the a broader area of other residents in the area, and you're trying to make that connection. So there's nothing better than to do things on the street that tend to draw people out and say, gee, I never thought of it that way. And so I don't know if, what type of research techniques or resources that might be available for us to do a type of market survey. Great question. Anyone have experience with either creative on-the-street methods for gathering this kind of feedback from residents or any other ways of doing this kind of research on a budget? Hi, this is Tammy in Montana again. We um, went through a whole process with a lot of, with all of our rural communities, the five that are within the service area of our community foundation, and we did what we called study groups, and we took it back to the communities, had them have their residents meet in small groups. And we had a huge success and were able to find out a lot of things that, 
that we found out that, you know, we're not as bad off as we thought we were, but we have a lot of room for improvement. And so taking it back to the people themselves, I think, is really important. Great advice, Tammy. Anyone else? There are some really creative ways of doing this out on the street, as Chris mentioned, that I know about. Anyone have experience with that? One, one idea. Oh, go ahead. I just say one idea really quickly is to, if you have, you know, phone booth or you have access to something like that, um, you could make it fun and remake that phone booth or a similar type structure into a little interview room where you take a video and take a photo, and um, that sort of thing can help document the project and draw people in and make it more of an event while you're at the same time collecting data. Thank you. Yes. One of my favorite events is called Parking Day, um, and that, that's when it's one day of the year where people around the world reclaim parking spaces and turn them into parks. And the, the good thing about it is that one of the good things about it is that it gives you a chance to be out on the street all day engaging with people. And so that's a way to do research. I mean, it's you know very qualitative, anecdotal research, so to speak. It's, it's more outreach. Um, but it's a way to do that while you actually do the intervention. And in a lot of places, these parking day installations have actually inspired local government to create programs where the, the parking spaces are reclaimed permanently. And that's you know another interesting thing to talk about when you do this kind of intervention, but it, it's a good way to actually do something while you're engaging with people, so it's dual use. Great, okay. Ms. Rebecca, it reminds me of a great project I love down in New Orleans by a designer named Candy Chang. She created stickers that look a little bit like hello name tags, and they say, I wish this was. And she handed them out to New Orleans residents or pasted them on empty storefronts, and people could go in and basically fill in what they wish that space was. So if you have an, an empty storefront, people would write on it, I wish it was a butcher shop or a community garden or something like that. And I, I don't know if it would work for your space, Kristen, um, mm. there, but if it happens to fit right, it's a great way to kind of leave something out and allow people to participate as they are walking by, but it's very cheap and you don't have to stand there and man right. it all the time. I know, I know all the ideas to, to oh. attract people, and that's really uh, given me a great idea. Uh, you know, some other ideas here that have come up even beyond those that have been mentioned. Sorry. Um, the sticker idea, I love that. And is there a way I can go on the web and see some examples of that? Yeah, absolutely. I'll throw a link into the Google Doc, and they're actually offering these stickers for sale fairly cheap. I think you can get, you know, 50 stickers for 20 bucks or something online, and they don't actually damage the site at all either. So landowners and owners are pretty good if you tell them they can be easily peeled off. So I'll stick a link. Okay. Okay. Anyone else have creative ideas on this or any ideas about more traditional research? Somebody else mentioned SurveyMonkey already, which is, of course, a great way to do quick surveys, and there are free versions of that and several other accounts online. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's close out this one and see if we have one more question that we can fit in before the end of the day. Anyone else?
Okay. Well, we don't need to force it here. We're coming up on 5 o'clock Eastern, various times across the country. So we wanted to close out with just a couple of things. Um, first of all, a thank you to everybody for weighing in and sharing your stories and all of your ideas, which has been fantastic. And I hope it's been valuable to everybody here. Um, as we mentioned on the last call and over email, this is really an experiment for Community Matters. We've been running this conference call series for over a year now, but wanted to find a way to help people really take action and get assistance and connect with others on the projects they're doing on the ground. So this is our first shot at it. We wanted to see how it goes, and we thank you all for being our guinea pigs. But we also wanted to make the offer to try to help you continue on if the group wants to do that and has interest in continuing assistance. So there are a few options for how we could do that. I wanted to just get a sense from folks in our last few minutes here of whether that's of interest and how you would like to do it. Uh, to give you a sense, we held one of these calls last week on storytelling for community planning. And that group decided they'd like to have a closed Facebook group. So the group who is on the line and additional people as they become interested can have a space where they can ask each other questions, post links, ideas, et cetera, but no pressure to participate. And they also decided they'd like to continue having calls on a periodic basis. I think it'll end up being quarterly. And those calls could be somewhat like we had today, where people can talk about their own projects and give updates and get assistance. Or they could be specific trainings on a topic of interest, that sort of thing. So that's what last week's group decided they wanted to do. I want to throw it out to all of you and see, first of all, if you have interest. There's no pressure to continue on. And if you do, what would be most helpful to you? So let me sort out, and again, in the interest of time, I'm going to ask you to keep it really short, like a one or two word, yes, I'm in, or no, thanks, and what would be most helpful to you? So let me just toss it open there. Floor is open. Uh, this is Tammy again. I think I like listening to everybody else. So I think it's a good thing to just, um, meet as frequent as we can just to hear what's going on with everybody. And like you, you picked a couple projects this time to talk about if that could be done ahead of time before each, each call, then we'd kind of know what we were going to be talking about and, and just go from there. I think it would be a great idea to continue. My name is Karen, and I've learned a lot today. Great. And Karen, what format would be most interesting to you? Facebook group, email list, periodic calls, something else? I like the calls because I like talking to people. Um, I really like hearing people's voices, and I'm really not that interested in Facebook, though I know a lot of people are. But... Um, it's really more human for me when I hear people's voices. Great. Let's see if I can hear from a few more people. And again, feel free to just shout out a yes, I'm interested, or no, I'm not, or one or two words. We're closing yeah. in on our <clears throat> Michael Held from uh, Dallas, Oregon. I would definitely be interested in continuing phone calls. Just listening to other people's projects has given me a long sheet and a half list of other ideas uh, for my community. So I think Great. hearing the ideas... Uh, and how they kind of develop over time would be great. Okay. I would agree. This is Kate, uh, Kate Lally from Shelburne, Vermont. Um, I would agree uh, more phone calls uh, like this would be great. I'm also completely fine with a Facebook page. I realize that might be 
sort of simpler to administer. So, um, but it, whatever, just to, to keep the, the dialogue going. I learned a tremendous amount. Um, and thank you all again uh, with deep gratitude. Uh, this is George and thank you. And uh, I'm in favor of doing regular uh, conference calls. And also, I, I love this idea of using Google Docs in connection with it. It's very helpful. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everybody. I'm actually going to call it off there. I think we've heard enough interest that we can definitely say we'll organize something going forward. We need to have a little think here at Orton about what we can commit to doing. And I'll be back in touch with you all to let you know and see if there's somebody in this group who wants to help us organize it or how it sounds as well. And again, if you're not interested, no pressure to keep joining us. Um, so let me just close out today by tossing it back to Phil and Mike and Ross. These three have been amazing, and I want to thank them so much for giving us all this time and their thoughts and efforts. They are just fabulous practitioners and thinkers on these topics and have added so much. And I wanted to give them a chance to share any closing thoughts quickly and let us know if they have any resources or things they want to share on this as well. So, Phil, let me pass it back to you first. Well, I mean, I just I love the the range of projects that are on here. So I, um, you know, I, I like participating in, in these because, you know, for me, real, real projects take months to execute, but helping other folks brainstorm their projects, I, you know, I can sort of leap ahead and, and get exposed to a lot of different ideas myself in a very short time. Great. Thanks, Phil. Mike, how about you? Um, just say I want to thank you all for participating. Um, again, a lot of cool projects, um, good challenges. I hope that we helped in some small way, at least do some brainstorming. Um, if you want to be exposed to uh, some of the ideas we've been talking about today, um, you can definitely check out the Tactical Urbanism Facebook page. Uh, we put links up there daily on uh, really interesting things that are happening around the country, um, which may be other sources of inspiration or information for you. Um, and also, as a resource for a tactic that we call Open Streets, or Temporary Street Closures for Biking and Walking, our organization just released a uh, comprehensive guide on how to do that in your community. Um, it's called the Open Streets Project, openstreetsproject.org. And uh, if you're at all interested, go ahead and check it out. We're very excited and hope more communities will move forward with Open Streets. Wonderful. Thanks, Mike. And I'm going to make sure those links get right front and center in the Google Doc, too. They're great resources if you want to check them out. And, Aras, anything from you? Uh, just in closing, I'll say that there's no right answer or wrong answer for doing any of the things that we've been talking about doing. And what made the project great that we have discussed is that they were all original and they were all authentic to what the community was. And, and you know, that should be a priority for everybody on the phone. Thank you. That's fantastic closing advice. I think you've all identified that really well and are doing such a great job of thinking about what will work in your place and what will really turn that spot around. So um, thanks again so much to everybody for joining us. I will be emailing you back shortly. It might be within about a week because I'm actually about to head out of town for a project, um, but I will make sure you have a podcast and link to these notes for today. This Google Doc will stay open, so if you have any more ideas about the projects you heard about today or want to go and read more about the ones we didn't talk about, please do feel free to add your thoughts and have a little conversation on this document. It's definitely there to be your space. Um, so with that, I think we're going to close out. Thanks so much for joining. Hope you will register to join us on more Community Matters calls, and we look forward to continuing this conversation. Have a great day.
Okay. Thank, thank you all. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.